Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. And welcome to Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Noel. And I'm Jackie. And today we are going to be talking about the great and fake sausage duel of 1865. A very violent Florency. That's not how you say that. Florentian? Florentian? Florentine. A very violent Florentine sport. And... The flying Santas who brought gifts to children who lived at lighthouses. Oh. It's pretty cute. You'll find out more yeah. later. Yeah. Best for last. Yeah. I already have several questions, but I will wait. What? Oh, what's one of your questions? Like how frequently were children living in lighthouses? Do I, lighthouses have chimneys? No comment. On both of them? On, yes. I feel like I can just look up blueprints and answer my question. Okay, well, we'll, we'll see. The, the answer's... May surprise you. Oh, they could only go to the lighthouses because that was the only source of light, or else Santa would have crashed into something. You're getting actually surprisingly close there. Okay, then cut it. Cut yeah. it out. Cut, cut it out. Cut this out. Cut this out. <laughs> mm-hmm. cut click, it, click, cut click, 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 click. Uh, Rudolph refused to go there because he thought it was just mm-hmm. a giant mirror that he was going to fly into. <laughs> uh, just beaming out red light. He's like, oh, that's just me. It's okay. Turn around and... I know your pain. <laughs> <laughs> you and all the other lighthouses didn't care I, about you. What? I don't know why I made him sound like uh, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> you don't understand. It puts the light bulb on its nose or else it gets the hold again. Also sounds kind of like he's melting. Uh, so, no. So, yes, mm. the great and fake sausage duel of 1865. Mm. And as we kinda talked about before, I'm going to present it that it is... Very most definitely just a point of legend in mm. the 19th century, mm-hmm. as so as not as to prompt a, whoa, listen to this crazy story about people dueling with sausages, and then get 10 minutes in and be like, it's fake. Hold <laughs> uh, <laughs> one over on you. Cooked or raw? I believe that they would have had to have been raw, because supposedly one of them was filled with a deadly bacteria. Go on. Mm. So I'm going to start... Uh, so I'm going to just an old, mm. Mm. just an old gross hot dog. No, a sausage. Well, Ooh. I guess one the non-poisonous one could have been old, but the poisonous one, um, was probably not cooked. Well, like any good recipe, let's start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start from the beginning, which is actually going to be <laughs> in the future. So uh, in the 1890s, yeah. um. A couple of years after Otto von Bismarck had ended his political career, uh-huh. um, so he'd kind of lost his political clout, a man was brought up on a trial. Mm. And in that trial, uh, the reason he was there was because he had uh, challenged someone to a duel, which oh. was against the law for just anyone to challenge anyone to a duel. Mm. And so he brought up this remark about how Otto von Bismarck had uh, challenged someone to a duel 30 years previously, but he hadn't been brought up to the court on any trials. Mm. So as far as I can tell, this prompted sort of uh, 
this legend around this uh, sort of dual challenge that had happened in the 1860s, but, like, it was, like, at the time, it was just, like, a couple-a-day affair, like, ooh, shocking news, totally dropped off the radar for, like, 30 years, and then, presumably, like, sort of to spite Otto after he had retired, they brought it up in this court trial, Mm -hmm. and this medicine magazine or journal uh, published this story about how Otto von Bismarck had... Challenged a science uh, a scientist, uh, Rudolf Virchow, 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 Rudolf Virchow, to a duel three decades before, and then Virchow, being the one challenged, offered up the weapons to sausages <laughs> as his weapon of choice to take into battle. Nice. So this probably did not happen. There's no record of anything before this 30 years later. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know. Ooh, I choose to believe it's true. Okay. So if you choose sausage (laughs) as a weapon, can you end up just, like, punching someone to death? Yeah, do you, like, just bludgeon them with a sausage? Yeah. Or just drop the sausage sausage and just punch them. I mean, you could get a pretty big sausage. Frozen sausage. Mm -hmm. That would would be my weapon of choice. You would have frozen your sausage. In a sausage? You would have challenged someone to a duel with sausages and secretly frozen yours over Oh, and then you can sharpen it? Yeah. And then you've got just basically a little meat steak. A little sausage shank. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Mom, pass me a shank of sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's delicious. It's in my stomach. Oh, it's so salty. (laughs) They say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach, but really it's through the fourth and fifth rib cage. (laughs) Fourth and fifth rib cage. Rib. Fourth and fifth rib. It's a little rib cage. He surrounded himself with skeletons. You gotta get in between the third and fourth rib cage. It's the only chance. Before he hits the self-destruct button. Yeah, that one, like, you've already eaten several rib cages that are just floating around your stomach. I mean... And the real rib cages are four and five. Look, we've all played Final Fantasy. No. No. Final Fantasy sausage? No. No. What Kefka does? Who I don't know. Okay, I don't, I don't worry know who about Kefka it. Is. Hey, it, if may hey, Anak fans, write they, in with who Kefka is. Do they have five rib cages? Or it's a shirt made of other rib cages. cages. <laughs> just you glued a bunch of rib cages on. Maybe cage maybe you coat. fell you into put like on a the big smaller pop- one. And then you put on the slightly bigger <laughs> one. And the slightly bigger one. I see you're layering your rib cages today. Well, it's a very dangerous day out. <laughs> Would hate if something hit between the fourth and fifth rib cages. I'm just picturing like a snowman, but with rib cages instead of balls of snow. <laughs> oh, that'd be horrifying. Yeah, right? If you made that like big skeleton and then like you waited and the snow comes out and you put it in your lawn and you wait for all the snow to come out and then when it melts, they're just like, ah! <laughs> Anyway, go on. Also. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Let me, uh... Um, We've talked about skellymans for a while now. Yeah, so but this... But that would like be a good place to hide a dead body if you like... Inside didn't... another skeleton. <laughs> inside a snowman. If you didn't have anywhere to put it and you just needed a couple winter days to figure it out. Well, that's fair. Yeah. What about teens? Yeah. Oh, man, can you imagine how, like, they're like, we're going to go mess up this snowman. <laughs> and they hit it, and they're like, oh, oh, no. And then you blame the teenagers. It's a win-win. Like, yeah. you get two days to figure it out, and if vandal teenagers don't do it and do the time for it, then, you know. I don't think my neighborhood had vandal teens knocking over snowmen. I lived in an apartment building. We didn't have lawns. So yeah, there really yeah. wasn't so anywhere to really less snowmen. Mm-hmm. What to do there. So we just fill those teens with skeletons, and then we build a snowman <laughs> around the teens. 
You'll never get out of this skeletal snowman. <laughs> you scare them by swinging around some sausage. <laughs> Quiet in there. <laughs> Shouldn't have broken my window with your bat and ball. <laughs> Yotes. Um, anyway, go on, Noel. <laughs> very high probability of a thing. This is a uh, not and just a legend because mm-hmm. there are no sources before it. And uh, Rudolph was actually a scientist, and this was first published in a scientific magazine, so it was kind of like, I don't know, I think it was just uh, promote science and... With sausages? Yeah, well, promote Promote science science by, like, being like, oh, this scientist, as I get into the story, they they said that it was kind of just like, oh, the scientist got a one-up on that rascally Otto von Bismarck. Okay. Like one of those uh, chain letters that's about the Marine in the professor's classroom. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have a mailbox as a child. <laughs> oh, right. I was talking about this with Jackie, uh, that she didn't realize what like the return flags were on the mailbox. Like if you wanted a letter delivered and you flip up uh, yeah. uh, the flag for the mailman knows to then pick the letters out. And- yeah. Just go to a mailbox. They're everywhere. But, but they're your, your mailbox. You have your, your own personal house. mailbox. Mailbox is for dropping off. Picking up is at the designated pickup location. But it just seems like so way. much more work. Why? You're going to pass a mailbox. No, no not. I mean, what if you're a hermit? Look, we're getting wildly off topic. <laughs> what if you don't have any hands? You have other problems besides the mail. And that doesn't... Make a difference as to how close a mailbox is. You know, because you're, you know, you gotta carry around that letter for a much longer time. What if you're a real old lady? With no hands. Oh, what if you're a real old lady, Jackie? You gotta walk down, like just walking down the end of your driveway is enough work. Not, let alone going out driving. And it's full of candy to your grandchildren who don't write enough? Mm hmm. I don't know if you guys know how convenient mailboxes are. But they're not that far they're away. Not, they're not. They're less convenient than going... You don't going have to drive like, to a mailbox. You don't have to drive to your mailbox. Yeah, you just open a door, put it in, and put up a little yeah. flag. This you, just seems like you're asking for someone to steal whatever okay. you're going to be mailing. I grew up, and the nearest mailbox was half a mile away from us. Well, that's just Uphill your both city's ways. fault for Whereas our mail, mailbox. our mailbox was on the driveway, and we lived in, like, the suburbs. Like, you're... Okay, city living? Sure. Sure, you can just go find a mailbox, but suburb and rural living? That that could be your whole day. You just know where the mailboxes are. Yeah, but you're not supposed to go out and find one. And what if they, use one of the other like yours? Your one doesn't move. And what if this Why do you have such a strong <laughs> objection to this? It seems overly okay. indulgent to have everyone to have an outgoing mailbox. Wow. It's not like it's a Jesus it's like a Jackie. resource that has to be carefully. <laughs> We're know. not running out of mailboxes. Mailmen are gonna have to go through anyway. Yeah, what if the teenagers like vandalize the one mailbox in town, like the one? No, what if there's full of stuff? One mailbox. What if you? What if you're going whole other direction from it during your day? Wait, no. So what's the next part of the story? Jesus Christ, Jackie. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm sorry. All I can think about is mailboxes now. I'm so angry I... about this. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to keep all of this in because you know we're going to come back to this later. Oh, uh, you know what you We've should We've been do? talking about this for four minutes, Jackie. You should... That's why I'm saying what's next. You should keep mail going. Max a letter like every once in a while just so he knows, so he knows that, that you went like mailbox. way out of your way to go to a mailbox to drop it off for but him. But I don't. There's one on our block. Which direction, though? To the left. 
Oh, yeah. Kind of tough if you want to write a letter to Max and you, your, all your stops are Okay, so right. let's look at the history of mailboxes. I guess that's what this episode's about now. I guess we're talking about the history of mailboxes. No, we're not. This, no, keep Max, going. I want to let you know if you ever get a letter from me, just from me, know that I put it into a mailbox and put the little flag up. The most common type of mailbox used for residences is the tunnel style. It was designed in 1915 by an employee at the post office named Roy J. Jeroleman, who was also an engineer. So 20 years before that, um, there was a scientific... That's crazy, actually. Only 20 years before that, um, uh, they had uh, published this fake story about a sausage duel. Uh, It was kind of... I think it was... uh, just described as being like a medical journalist has been like, yeah, a scientist outwitted a dumb old politician guy. Um, so probably didn't happen. The most likely thing from historical documents is mm. that literally the guy just got challenged by Otto von Bismarck to a duel and just said, nah, I'm above this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's You can believe whichever version you want. But, I kind of uh, like that one a lot better. Yeah, the, yeah. the rising above it rather than be like, oh yeah? Well, I got these two sausages here. <laughs> Come on, num-num. I mean, that seems like a fun way to tell someone that you don't believe in whatever it is they're trying to make you do. You're mm. like, okay, then let's make it with sausages then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you you want to drive? Let's just drive a sausage. Come on, dummy. <laughs> hey, hey, Jack, this why don't you just a, mail me a fucking sausage? <laughs> this is an official cease and desist sausage. You are supposed to stop all activities at once. You can do whatever you'd like with a sausage. I just have to mark that I gave it to you. <laughs> and initial here, and bite here. <laughs> initial here with, like, a ketchup bottle. <laughs> circumstances around this um, challenge? Um, so when um, so in Prussia uh, King Wilhelm came to power uh, over after the death of his uh, brother King Frederick William IV and so he just wasn't uh, he was a very combative king with the um, I don't know if this is how it's pronounced but it's written here the Prussian Diet it could be Diet but they're pretty much their parliament. But yeah, so uh, he got into a fight with their assembly, and a big part of it was uh, budget, budgeting, mm-hmm. like what they would give money to, uh, and not. And eventually, King Wilhelm got so sick of dealing with this assembly that he got had uh, Otto von Bismarck appointed. Was it uh, to oh, minister president? Um, so like a prime minister role, just to really deal with these government people, because mm-hmm. he just apparently couldn't do it anymore. Um, so Otto just constantly got into a fight with this Congress or mm-hmm. assembly over it. Yeah, so Rudolph, who led the radical progressive party with his shiny nose, mm-hmm. um, would often clash with uh, Otto over this. Basically, they got into a budget dispute. Uh, Rudolph uh, just pretty much made Otto look like a fool. And so he just made it very personal about him. So just took a sausage and uh, stuck it on well, top, a little, the little pointy bit on top of his helmet. Helmet <laughs> stuck his head in the fire. Go on. Yes. Um, and so um, Otto cha- then challenges um, mm. Rudolph to a duel, and Rudolph gets to. Uh, if you're challenged to the duel, apparently, customary, you get 
to use the weapons. Yeah. So, a little background about our friend Rudolf Vierko. He was a uh, scientist who worked on various just cell biology. It's weird because he was actually an uh, early proponent of cell theory, but going back to an earlier story about the assassination of James Garfield, he did not believe in germ theory, so he believed that sicknesses came from within the cells themselves and not okay. the germs. Okay. So, you know, he was—he had a mixed bag as far as his, mm-hmm. as far as where his beliefs were aligned. Right about some things, wrong about other things. Mm-hmm. Always eating sausages, blaming the sausages for giving him diseases because there was something wrong with the cells of the sausages. So, very, yes, actually, very close, sort of in a roundabout way. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things he was working on was studying the uh, trichinella parasite, oh. which is a parasite that, which is why I believe that the sausages were uncooked. It is a Bacteria in undercooked pork. Mm -hmm. And so when Otto challenged him to the duel, he, as legend goes, he was in his lab and he was studying the effects or studying the Trichinella parasite. Mm -hmm. And he just said that, all right, I'm going to challenge Otto to a duel with sausages. And he held up two sausages and he (laughs) said, one of these has the Trichinella parasite in it. And the other is fine. They would each take a sausage and eat it, and one of them would probably die from it, and the other would not. Damn. Of course, when they figured out that Otto von Bismarck didn't die of that, and well, neither did the other dude, they must have like kind of seen through that whole story. Well, What if they both had spent their whole lives uh, building up uh, immunities immunity to Trinella poisoning? Yep. But if he... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the poison is in my sausage or is it in your, your sausage? sausage? Because a fool would not eat that sausage, but a, a, a wise man would eat that sausage to try and trick me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, no, it was just that uh, he rejected the choice of weapon, so it kind of got dropped. He oh. knew the origin of the sausage. Okay. okay. There was no building up of immunities any cool, exciting part. Yeah, so just supposedly it was a scientist being like, I'm not much of a duelsman, or if, like, I'm confronted by this, like, violence, I'm going to fight violence with sausages. Poison sausages. (laughs) So... Someone would probably definitely die, and uh, it could be me, it could be him. The funny thing about this legend is that it's not, like, even would have any means of, like, telling them apart if one was just randomly selected and then they both had to eat it. Yeah. And even if he did, he wouldn't have had the choice and, like, which one he got. Like, if he knows which one is poison and he just sees Otto pick up the unpoisoned one and he's just like... (sighs) He could pretend to eat and go, like, and... Now, you're not going to see this in Radio Land, but I'm going to hold my hand, I'm going to slowly move it past my face as I do this, uh, making it look like I'm eating an invisible sausage... Mm-hmm. Okay, ready? Yeah. Um, 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 um. See, now, if I was eating a real sausage with that, it would look like I was eating it, but in fact, it would be going past me. He's so he's just, like, he's just putting it down his shirt, and, like, <laughs> and they're like, oh, their butt went fast. Oh, sure, sure did. Right? And then, and then he just, like, yeah. walks out. and. But then Otto von Bismarck would have eaten his non-poison sausage, and they both would have just stared at each other, <laughs> having both consumed raw pork, and just like... All right. I need to go take a million shits. Rudolph would then take his handkerchief out from his cuff to wipe his face, and it would just keep going. It's a gigantic handkerchief. Rainbow colors. He's trying to hold it with his little reindeer hooves and wipe his face with it. Well, he could 
Okay, so maybe he wanted to tie this to a public education campaign mm -hmm. where it'd be like, these two sausages, one of which killed Otto van Bismarck, looked exactly the same. And they came from the same bunch of links, but one was cooked less well than the other one. And you can't really tell. So this is a lesson to everyone out there to cook your sausages super well. And then they both eat a sausage. And it's this giant publicity stunt yeah. for public health. Message. And they lady in the trumpet and they kiss in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, what if it was poisoned? Well, I don't even care. Well, then <laughs> I want to be poisoned with you. <laughs> yeah. And then a chef in the audience, like, kisses his fingers. <laughs> I feel like if you have to die in a duel, you might as well tie it to something to, like, make the public more aware yeah, of You might issues. as well have a kiss right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. You might yeah. as well improve the world and get a kiss from Otto Because <laughs> <laughs> when else are you going to get a kiss from that bristly mustache? You can just tell people 30 years later that you did. I mean, you'll be dead, so... <laughs> No, you, like, you never know on your gravestone, like, kissed Otto von Bismarck. <laughs> the only notable thing. Please don't let anything like that be the only notable thing remembered about me. <laughs> if you someone. kissed Otto von Bismarck, though? Yeah, you would have, like, dug um, up his bones and kissed his mustache. That would have been mustache. something, yeah. yeah. I then put Grave Robber. Don't yeah. put, like, kissed Otto von Bismarck. I mean, people will work it out, you know? It's a mystery yeah. for him. It's a puzzler. <laughs> if you had to get out of a duel, how would you do it? How you? How would you do it, or what would you do to try to win? How would you get out of the duel? Mm. Or what, whichever one, whichever one you, you prefer. Dealer's choice. I would tell them to meet me at a certain address at a certain time, mm -hmm. but I would pick an address that doesn't exist. Okay, because, 123 Fake Street. I mean, it would be better than that, but yes. Uh, 6969 Cool Avenue. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> And then they'll spend eternity trying to find this address, and mm. I can live out my life happily. What if they caught none? They won't. Okay. Yeah, what if they just go to the, like, Capitol or Department building, and they're just like, where is this street? And they're like, oh, that doesn't exist. People do it to get out of duels all the time. And then they'll be like, ah, I've been had. <laughs> but she was smart. I, I deserve so. <laughs> I feel like a real minkus. She's going to be a great grave robber one day. <laughs> a great robber. A great robber. A great grave robber. A, a greater, graver. A grave grave robber. There we go. So sad, always stealing <laughs> I would do the Looney Tunes thing. I like, I, I challenge them to a duel and it's like a brick wall, but I've painted myself on it. And the duels, we have to run at each other really fast, like, one after the other. And, like, he has to go first. And you have whoever, like, and you headbutt the other person. And then whoever falls down first loses. And I would just paint myself on the wall. Mm. So they would, like, go to headbutt me. And, like, there's boom, right in the wall. It seems very unlikely that this plan would work. Why not a scarecrow? Because the scarecrow wouldn't concuss them when they headbutted it. It would just be like... Phoom. Well, if he was filled with rocks. Why don't you just... <laughs> Dress up a bull like you. Okay. Okay, I like that idea a lot, actually, because I feel like I would look really cute as a bull. Uh, yeah. With a little beard and glasses. Oh, cardigan. <laughs> cardigan on the bull. Running around, stomping around so cozy. Maybe like, oh, he's turned into a bull. Wow. What Maybe. a formidable enemy. <laughs> How about you, Noel? I would get some friends or some people mm -hmm. all around to mm -hmm. also challenge me to duels mm -hmm. and have them predated from that duel and just say that if he really wants to duel me he has to duel through my waiting list first so then he has to pick pick a fight and then duel all of these other people before he even gets a chance to duel me it seems like it would get a lot of your friends killed though 
Yeah, so I probably wouldn't pick friends. Okay. I'd probably just pick, like, people who owe me one. <laughs> Acquaintances who you've done a solid for. Yeah. Remember the time I helped get snow off your roof? Well. well remember the time I lent you a quarter to pay for parking? Well, time to pay the piper. That piper's coming for you. Yeah, I pissed off Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> My story today is about Florentine sports. So there's a very old sport called Calcio Storico Fiorentino, which translates into historical soccer. I'm sorry, historical football, mm-hmm. Florentine, or the Florentine kick game. <laughs> <laughs> the kick game. The kick um, what, what, what do you have to do? I am off to play the kick game. The Florentine kick, kick game. <laughs> I would love to watch Antonio Banderas in a movie that's called The Florentine Kick Game. And it starts with him as a boy. It's like, Fernando, where are you off to? I am off to kick practice. I have to kick practice for the kick game. <laughs> so this game, what this uh, Florentine kick game, Florentine kick game is basically like the ancestor sport. For modern day football, soccer, mm. and rugby, basically, it's cool. like a super sport that is extraordinarily violent. Ooh! It was a descendant of ancient Roman and Greek sports of sparomachia and harpastum, which were also just like violent games used as part of military and gladiator training. Mm. And they're they're basically ball games. Where there's a ball and you have to try and get it to the other side of the field. Sure. You know, as many games boil down to. Mm-hmm. And the ball was usually leather and filled with rags or was made out of an inflated animal bladder. Mm-hmm. And this game was very popular, just played out on the streets by men and boys in the neighborhoods. And it was very popular during the Renaissance. And it started to get kind of like a, a patina of class on it when the... The upper crust started liking to play this a game. A little silver ball take that right off. <laughs> and it became this like institutional game that they would play during carnival season, mm. like, leading up to Easter. It became something for the noble classes, and it was headed by the different illustrious families of Florence at the time. They used to get dressed up like very fancy, so it's called football in livery. Mm. They wore like fancy costumes. There was parades preceding it. It was like this big cultural. Forensic pride kind of thing. So it was this, like, sport of the people that then suddenly got this, like, upper crust... Patina. Patina. ...on it. But it was Mm -hmm. still something very prideful that, like, the city was proud of their sport and their heritage of this game. And it became something full of, like, pageantry and pride. And it was very popular throughout the 17th and 16th centuries. And one of their most famous times that they played this game was during the Siege of Florence... By um, Charles V of Spain. He was the king of the Holy Roman Empire at the mm-hmm. time. And he really wanted a favor from the Pope. Pope Clement VII, I believe. And to get on the Pope's good side, mm-hmm. he decided that he would attack Florence. Because Florence was a very big economic powerhouse. It was the Italian peninsula. And they wouldn't fall in line to what mm-hmm. the Pope wanted. So Charles attacked the city for that reason. Oh no. And they had a humongous... Theatrical game of Florentine kickball kick game. <laughs> the Florentine kick game. The Florentine kick game as like a big. We don't care that you're see, you've been seizing or sieging our city for ten months. 
we are just going to play this super elaborate, involved game and be like, doesn't matter that you're fighting us right now. We still have time to play our game of Florence. <laughs> and it's just so nice. Bet they painted a bunch of rude words on the ball, too. Oh, maybe. I don't know. That all targeted the people sieging them. But it's like this huge dichotomy because the game is super duper violent so oh. it's like we're not fighting you right now because we're just gonna fight ourselves we are going to protest violence <laughs> with, with a violent game of kick game because <laughs> uh the florentine kick game is organized by neighborhoods in the city mm. and it's like huge regional rivalries of like neighborhood pride mm. so each region has a color and a name and it's all broken up by whatever church your neighborhood attends <clears throat> and it's just like this big, it's essentially a brawl. I didn't go into the rules because they're like hilarious. And Was I punching allowed in the kick game? Yes. What? That <laughs> yeah. seems like they the should one have... rule that right. they would have in place. No punching in kick game. Okay, we're going to put a pause <laughs> on the history and go right into the rules. Okay. Two teams, 27 players per team. What? <laughs> the field. Smaller than a soccer field. <laughs> Martial arts? They're good. <laughs> Specifically says, yes, martial arts. <laughs> well, I think, so, I didn't get to it, but they still play this game once a year as, like, a thing of um, Florentine pride during the Feast of uh, St. John. Well, now I simply must go to Florence. <laughs> it's it's horrifying. I wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, so, 27 players on each team. You're allowed to hit, you're allowed to punch, you're allowed to kick, you're allowed to headbutt, you're allowed to choke. I read one article about a man who had gone to watch it, and he said it was basically just people wrestling and fighting and, like, boxing, while occasionally someone would pick up the ball and, like, run or remember they were supposed to be doing something with the ball. <laughs> it was just, like, a brawl the whole time. Um, so in 2015, they added the rule, you can't fight two against one. It can only be one against one or multiples against multiples. You can't fight someone... Probably probably kept a lot of deaths out of the game. Yeah, this took that. six centuries for this rule to get penciled in. <laughs> well, yeah, people did have deadly fatal injuries from this game. Mm. Um, and in 2007, they banned people who were convicted criminals from playing. Oh, seems... People were bringing their, uh, their beef on the streets to the games. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of meat on the street to bring to a game. Yeah. Now, what are, now, what about sausages? Are sausages allowed in the Florentine kick game? So I think during, in the modern rules, probably not. Mm -hmm. But there is a legend that um, at one point during the 17th century, to add a little pizzazz to the game, someone just let a bull loose. <laughs> Which team <laughs> was it? A little more. I don't know. This, I don't know. What was that bull convicted of? This murder game is too dull. <laughs> oh, I wish there was something to spice up this murder game. Hmm. Mm, I guess... What do you think, Mr. Toro? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess we could shoot him. No, wait a second. The answer's been here the whole time. <laughs> Look at him all wearing red, Mr. Toro. Get wait, in there. Get so, in there. So, I mean, is the Airbud rule in place? Is there anything in the rule book about a bull playing kick game? Kick game. I don't think it's specifically said. I, I don't know. I don't know if they specifically say. It sounds like there's no rule in the book that says a bull can't play kick game. The modern ones are the modern games are very serious about anti-doping. So I don't know. He still has to pass a blood test, and I guess if it doesn't match with human regu regular 
Um, well, it sounds like it just has to be a cow that, like, or a bull that's not on any, like, antibiotic or growth mm-hmm. hormone. Well, I mean, it's yeah. going to have, um, what is it, taurine? It's going to have taurine. That too so you got to replace. Probably a banned substance. So you have to replace all of the bull's blood with human blood. <laughs> just has to live for a few hours. <laughs> just long enough to win some kick game. And then afterwards, delicious forbidden bull meats with human blood in the veins. Oh my god, okay, so. If a bull did win, the traditional prize is a butchered calf. Oh, no! <laughs> yes. son! Oh, no! Wow. Oh, this is yeah. getting more tragic. Um, but in the modern version, the whole team doesn't split a butchered calf anymore. They get a voucher for... Dinner. A butchered calf. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they get a voucher for um, any a dinner of their choice. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I think it would be much cooler to be presented with a butchered calf than be like, everyone's going to Giacomo's after the game. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Giacomo? I just picked an Italian name. Is that how that's pronounced? Yeah. I always thought it was Giacomo. No. Uh, Giacomo. 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 I always thought it was Giacomo. Like, I don't know. Huh. I uh, mean, enough that any, you are clearly in the wrong family. If there's any Italian Honestly. listeners, please uh, write in. Write with in. the pronunciation. <laughs> write in and correct Max. With international phonetic scripts. Yeah, or maybe send us a, an email with a recording of yourself saying it correctly. There we will go. not look up any of those videos on send, YouTube ever now. Send, so send us a multiple uh, multiple JPEG file of your mouth, the pictures of your mouth saying uh, however you no would sound. say that. No just, sound. No just sound, just the pictures. Let us do the hard Just a work. series of still images. Actually, that might be more of the hard work, but... So a series of still images that we then have to collate into a GIF, and then based on <laughs> how it looks, looks. we... Determine the correct pronunciation. Yeah, you know, the scientific method. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so there's, on each team, there are two to four goalkeepers. There are three defenders, five, uh, sorry, five midfielders, and 15 forwards. And it basically has the same battle. I read, one article I read said that it had the same lines of battle as a Renaissance infantry regiment, but I don't know. Take that with a grain of salt, because that's the only source I saw that said that. Um, the game is 50 minutes long. There are no breaks, no substitutes. You play in a pit of sand 16 inches deep. <laughs> That's so deep. It's <laughs> over a foot of sand. Yeah. That's like calf deep in sand. Can you imagine the NFL in just a sand pit? You know, it'd probably be safer. I would, you know, I'd yeah. watch football if it was played in a foot and a half of fucking sand. Mm-hmm. Loose, bloody sand. You also have no protective gear. Well, you got all. the sand. Yeah. sand. No helmets. So you can, like, throw sand in people's eyes. Yeah, that's part of it. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> oh. Oh. So it's basically just like a 50-minute brawl where yeah. once in a while people like, Get sand. score points with yeah. the ball. They also have a negative scoring system where if you, like, don't if you don't score the right way, if it like bounces or is deflected at the last minute, the other team gets half a point. So you have you end up with scores like with fourteen and a half and stuff like that. So oh, it's it's a weird sport. That is a yeah. weird sport. It's a weird weird sport. Like um, a ball pit, but yeah. the balls have been replaced with billions and billions of really tiny balls that can get into your eyes and <laughs> blind you. And then there's one big ball that you get yeah. murdered for. 
full that of sounds rats. like most of the murdering is taking a place away from the ball. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the ball, <laughs> the ball is ancillary to the, this. The ball is secondary. Yeah. But, yeah. That inflated animal bladder. So. I would have replaced the ball with like a very. Well, they use like a, a like a soccer ball now. I would have used a, a bird cage just to get a little bird in there to just have them like looking around like what, what? is going, What's going on? on? Why are all these people throwing me around? Oh, it starts with a cannon shot. Ooh, at through a man? Because <laughs> that's where I thought this was. Yeah, this this is like a the level of violence. You yeah. brought a bull, we brought a cannon. <laughs> they bring a bull, you bring a cannon. They put one of yours in the sand, you put one of theirs in the gold. It's more like a starting gun than anything else. A starting cannon. Yeah, it's a small cannon. Mm-hmm. How, okay. I don't know the size. See, that's like, how I would start small the game. Small really modify. small cannon. Uh, See, how I would start the game is I would have shot the ball out of the cannon into the court to yeah. start the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone got in the way, then it's 26 on 27. Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. it goes sometimes. And the ball's full of candy, so that whoever gets hit by whoever gets hit by it, pretty candy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so much like football, there are so many ancillary people on the sidelines who are also part of the game. There's a referee... Mm-hmm. Six linesmen, mm-hmm. a commissioner referee who mm-hmm. is not on the field itself. He's like watching from a tent from the side. And there's a master of field who's someone who's supposed to maintain discipline during accidents and fights. Um, and then there's also a captain and a standard bearer who also have their own tent. So, so someone just holds up a flag the whole time. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah. But inside a tent is what I'm guess. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, it's like a that. tent near the end zone. Okay, with a flag inside that no one can see. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know the specifics. I say this summer we go down to the the park down the street and we put together a match of kick game. Yeah. Oh, but what if we get in the way of the Viking reenacting? Group? God, I love that Viking reenacting. <laughs> we'll group. challenge them. Have we discussed this in the podcast before? I don't think we have. So where I live, uh, I live right by Ringer Park, and in Ringer Park uh, in in Boston, uh, every Saturday. Uh, a bunch of the people from the Boston chapter of the Viking Reenactment Society get together and practice sword fighting. It's pretty cool. I am newly friends with this woman whose roommate is part of that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said they're really fun. They're really they fun. seem rad. They seem like they have a blast. I would do it myself, except they require you to co- really commit to the Viking lifestyle and like go to meetings and stuff and mm-hmm. take up the crafts in order to do it. I kind of just want a sword fight. They have, a, like, a big thing happening this weekend. Mm. They're having a big fight in Wakefield, I want to say. Okay. They're, they have a chapter from another state coming for, like, a big games thing. They're going to, oh, oh, fucking rad. Yeah, right? Doesn't that sound fun? i got to check that shit out. That's actually how I was hoping that the uh, story with uh, King Charles was going to go when he was sieging <laughs> Florentine. Yeah. No, that they would come out and shout, like, almost like Space Jam, just come out and say, hey, <laughs> sieging our city for ten months. <laughs> come on, we said Jam. Play you for it. <laughs> Come on and, and kick, and welcome to the murder ball. <laughs> it's time to choke, and punch, and kick, and <laughs> choke. It's time to kick, and bring it to the pit. It is full of sand, Release human hand. <laughs> Release the bull. Too and many bulls. <laughs> Who brought so many bulls? They both, both love playing in sand. Both teams are all bulls. This is just a bunch of bulls. <laughs> We replaced the population of Florence with bulls, bulls, and now you're trapped inside the city. <laughs> Send those bulls to Pamplona. Run with the bulls. Um, but I feel like this, the Vikings would probably get into playing yeah. kick games. Yeah, they would probably be too good. <laughs> I don't think so. I think 
this is like really like bloody. Yeah. Yeah. People get seriously injured. Men die. Um, the 2017 game had to be broken up by Riot Police. No. The which game? 2017. Are they just standing by or are they yeah. called? That's what I want I to know. know. I don't what? know. What? You mean something's got it right? The old kick game? <laughs> the old game where men choke each other out for a ball. Something's got a right. <laughs> well, I guess I'll put on my geriatric riot armor because I'm doing an old man voice and I'm not sure why. This is my 60th kick game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my spine. Oh, I thought that was my belt buckling, but no, it was my spine buckling. <laughs> Actually, so they made some recent changes. I'm not sure if it was in 2014 or 2007, but they um, made an age limit, so you can only play if you're under 40. If you're under 40? To cut oh, so you get really injuries. fit people. Because <laughs> there were all, like, people who had been yeah. playing for 25 years or whatever keep playing and just injuring themselves horrifically. Yeah, because they were all, because they had no, like, limbs left anymore. Jeez, they were just elbows and knees. A lot of the guys who play now are professional boxers. <laughs> or this amateur just boxers. sounds like the worst idea. <laughs> yeah. I've um, gone back and forth on this so much to be like, this is the best thing ever. This is the worst thing ever. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it's got a lot of regional pride and fun pageantry mm-hmm. aspects to it because the the current iteration is now a yearly event where they have like city playoffs where they have three rounds two elimination rounds and then a final round and you win like a flag and you're uh your butchered calf equivalent mm-hmm. your voucher, <laughs> yeah. voucher. Um, so i mean it seems like a really fun pride kind of thing but I don't know. There, there's some weirdness to it because by the 18th century, the the sport had kind of lost some of its popularity, mm-hmm. um, and it became like a, a street game again. It lost the um, like the nobles weren't the players anymore, and they weren't like doing all the pageantry with it. Um, and it just kind of fell out of favor. And then it was only revived in the 1930s by Mussolini because he wanted to increase what? national pride. <laughs> I was not expecting this twist. I told I need to take. I told you. You I know, say what you will about Mussolini. He brought back the kick game. <laughs> <laughs> he brought back Florentine kick game and made it run on time. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Seems like a pretty bad bag, Jackie. Um, yeah. one, one, I don't want this, this bag. This is a death sport. Let's, uh, let's bring it back, everyone. So one article I read, there were a lot of articles that came out in 2015 because it was the 500th anniversary of the sport. Yeah. And someone described it as Red Rover with punching. Yeah. So pretty much like modern day, it's just 54 boxers in a sand pit just mm-hmm. tearing each other apart and Groups of one-on-one or two-on-two. Maybe 27-on-27. King Henry III of France was invited to a game that was, like, being put on in his honor. And uh, his takeaway was that it was too small to be a war, but too cruel to be a game. It's a good assessment. Yeah. Yeah. I would be like, would you do this for me? Why? Why why did you think I was going to like this? (laughs) What do you think of me? But they invited, like... They knew, like, I wonder if they knew they wanted to hold yeah. it in his honor and invited him, or just, like, he was the most prestigious guest that showed Could up, be. so they're like, uh, this is in your honor. You. Finally an excuse. It's like, it, like, it, when you're, like, given a gift by someone who loves you more than they understand you. Yeah. And you're kind of insulted by, like, they think this is the person you are, 
Like they give you like um, a zombie a day calendar, or this like personal. This or did you get a zombie? Or a day like calendar? or like a wooden board with the words "Don't make me release the flying monkeys" written on it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, where am I? This is a sign that I don't like. I don't want people to think this is my deal. Did you get either of those two gifts? I I'll never tell. Yes. Okay. That wasn't that hard. <laughs> to break Max down. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so the, one more fun fact about this sport um, is the way that they currently play it is that they still wear some finery mm-hmm. when they play. So they basically wear britches that look like the bottom of a jester's costume in their assigned city region color. That's rad. Yeah. Yeah, little jester pants. But the guys are all scary because they all have, like, scary Big burly boys with little jester pants. Little jester pants. bells. And they also... (laughs) So I was reading one article Mm. about the the men who are in this game, and they end up using uh, packing packing tape to, like, tape their pants to themselves so Mm. that... They have it's less for someone to grab onto to pull them to the ground, mm-hmm. basically. So, so kind know. of getting it's the like, whole beauty of the gesture pants. Yeah, it's like whimsy with like this strange bloody practicality. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this sport, but I thought it was interesting. And I, should I am share it. delighted and horrified. Yeah, those and two I'm things. Not sure if I mentioned it, but it's the sport that they think is like the ancestor to football, soccer and soccer football. You mentioned, you mentioned, yeah. So you can see elements of all those sports in here, but this is really just like yeah. My favorite part of soccer is when they punch each other to death. Well, it's probably the kicking part. That's the from to this soccer. Game. You're right. The, you're right. You're kicking. right. My favorite part of uh, foot of um, of rugby is when they punch each other to death. <laughs> Speaking of, they fun... just started a women's league. Oh, yeah. Well, in their, they in of their teams, yearly though. game. Yeah. Okay. They tr- these guys train for like three months for a once a year event. I don't think I'm hard enough to play this game. No, I don't. I don't, know, know, if I don't know if I'm. No, I know I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if I'm even like capable of watching this game without crying. I don't think I could. Yeah, could like, be your greatest strength, though. Crying? Yeah. If you were on the team and you just started crying yeah. before the game even started, and just oh, I'm supposed <laughs> to be here, and then like you wait for like some guy to like knock some other guy down, and you throw this little wimpy punch, and you're like <laughs> in the back, and he's just like. I can't. I can't hit this guy. Oh, look at him. He's so sad and cute. <laughs> but like, there are no subs in this game, so it's a legitimate strategy to just beat one person up until they like can't, can't play, because then you have an advantage because there's down one person and there's no subs. What you need to do is like create a like an like a circle to mm-hmm. protect people in the middle who are just chucking sand at the other players. <laughs> <laughs> so like blinded up. I thought you were going to say scoring points and I was like, that's not the point of the game. Mm-hmm. It, no, it's called, the, it's called the, the fountain strategy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so as a side note mm-hmm. for the people listening, mm-hmm. um, so a few shows ago we did a segment of What, were, what Are They Wearing? Mm-hmm. I believe is the title of it. Um, uh, what Did They Wear? What Did They Wear? And I just thought people would like to know that one time one time I look up what medieval lawyers wear, and now Pinterest will not stop sending me emails about medieval outfits. And I tried to take a screenshot of my trash folder, but I couldn't figure out how to only search in trash and not in other things. So I couldn't show you the dozens and dozens of emails that Pinterest has sent me about medieval clothing. Oh, wow. Pinterest, you're a terrible they got you now. You know, I look on Pinterest. I did Pinterest for one try because I was like, you know, they got a lot of pictures 
They might have something. They didn't. They weren't even helpful, and now you're cursed. They weren't cursed. helpful because it was like costumes. Now you're cursed by Pinterest. Pinterest. Oh my god! Just look up Kick Game and see what they start sending you. I think Pinterest has like a morality clause on it. Uh, so I you think might get kicked out of Pinterest. I, I don't yeah. know if I get kicked out, but I'll definitely get like a message that's like, "We don't condone violence. We don't include violent yeah. images." Yeah. Maybe you can ask. Santa Claus to bring you better pins next year. He's not real. I don't want to wait a year. Or is he? Santa's not real, but you know what is real? Lighthouses. Lighthouses and pilots. (laughs) Ah. This is a story about the flying Santas. So this is about a bunch of, a group of, a group of people who every year would fly toys and packages and like, and like gift packages to the families who lived in lighthouses, because they didn't have, like, an easy way to get to land or town for presents. It would usually be snowed in. It was floatplane pilot William Winkapaw, William Winkapaw, who uh, first started the tradition. So he lived in on the main coast in the 1920s, and he would frequently transport sick or injured islanders to the mainland. He was often forced to fly in less than ideal conditions, so he used lighthouses to keep himself oriented. Because back in the early days of aviation, they didn't have, you know, the avionics or technical equipment. They barely had room for, like, a radio on their plane. So he would fly real low, and he would just, like, watch for flashes from lighthouses to keep himself oriented in the dark. So Winkapa got to know the lighthouse keepers, who often had families, but only made irregular visits into town for Wait, supplies. Wait, how did he get to know them? He'd land there because he was in an old-ass biplane there. He had to stop, like, every once in a while. Sorry, a float plane. So he would land by the lighthouses. Oh. Like, on the water. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes he would, like, bring injured people there or back or bring them supplies. Bring injured people to the lighthouse? Yeah, if they're, like, injured at, at, at sea. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a scenario where they, you just got this injured person from, like, a town that he's flying <laughs> just, out of. This <laughs> is just, where you die, alone on the lighthouse. They, these lighthouse keepers need to eat, too. We have a beautiful collection of rib cages at this lighthouse. Oh, this one's made a snowman out of them. So the holidays could be a particularly sad time for them, since gifts and other treats weren't easily obtained since they didn't go into town very often. Mm-hmm. So in 1929, Winkapaw decided to buzz the lighthouses around Penobscot Bay with care packages full of tea, books, toys, you know? Uh, and it was a complete surprise to them. Mm-hmm. They just found packages on the island, and they, like, they figured out who dropped them. Like, he was one of the few people who would go and talk to lighthouse keepers and their families. And the lighthouse keepers with their, uh... Cups on a string spoke to each other and were like, did you get a package today? <laughs> I got a package today. Oh my gosh. Mm. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I can't believe the string kept for a whole year. <laughs> just imagine more of a scenario. You had the loner, crazy lighthouse guy who's just talking to it and then putting that <laughs> cup with the string on the other end to his own ear and then flipping them back and forth. <laughs> oh. Well, I heard they say that working in a lighthouse group makes you go crazy. Well, that's... Just talking, can't let it get to you. <laughs> Who says I'm letting it get to me? Oh, no, not that I didn't mean anything by it. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Click. Oh, I'm lonely. So, uh, Winkapaw began making the drops annually and upped his route to 91 lighthouses by 1933. Wow. He would often wear a Santa outfit, even though it, that would rarely be visible from the grounds. Wait, so he would just, like, airdrop these things? Yeah. 
wearing a full Santa costume and beard. I thought he From was the... gonna like touch down. No, he just airdropped them. That, yeah. There were certain, there were a few, so I'll get to this later, but there were a few notable occasions. How many casualties? He destroyed a few cars. <laughs> 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 oh, he had such good intentions. Merry Christmas! <laughs> Fly out of here so fast! Oh, they know who I am. Now. Oh, I've been overindulging on the old eggnog. I got you a new car. <laughs> well, I dropped it on your old car. Now both are ruined. Wait, why do you have a car in a lighthouse? Because they're not like. They're, sometimes they're on islands. Sometimes they're not. And usually a ferry <laughs> will go to the islands, you know, to take them back and forth. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they're just on uh, peninsulas. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, yeah, so full Santa outfit, flying from lighthouse to lighthouse, dropping gifts. Uh, with the outbreak of World War II, he began to label his plane with the phrase Christmas Seal Plane to avoid being mistaken for an enemy craft. When he left to the war in South America, his 16-year-old son, Bill Jr., became one of the youngest pilots in Massachusetts to earn his license. Uh, so him and Edward Snow, who was a teacher at Paul's school, the Flying Santa missions continued while William was at war. In 1947, when Winkapa suffered a fatal heart attack during a non-holiday flight, uh, the duties fell exclusively on Edward's, Edward Snow's uh, shoulders. Since Edward was unable to fly himself, he would hire pilots to make the drops from Maine to Long Island while he rode as a passenger. He would lean out, full Santa garb, and his fake beard would sometimes blow off his face from the wind, so he would pack... Multiple replacement beards. <laughs> Why didn't you just grow one? Gosh, it's a more sustainable option. I, then you have to have a big Santa beard year-round. Why was he sticking his head out the window? Uh, to drop the care packages. Dropping them. It, it's not... Yeah, so now I get to occasionally packages would smash car windows. But for the most part, Snow would get back self-addressed stamped envelopes he left in the boxes that reported the items were received safely. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, just, you just would love, love, and sometimes that one will come back with, you destroyed our car. <laughs> no, Santa did. Self-addressed, <laughs> stamped, and mm-hmm. <laughs> Merry Christmas from Santa, but it was me, Ed Snow. Please personally thank me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know it all made it there. He started including those because one year he dropped a care package out. And ev- and it hit a big rock, and everything in it broke. The doll broke. The food broke. The tea was dispersed. The wind. So you know, the, he got a, like a a letter back saying, "Oh, it all got broken." He realized, "Oh, maybe other people are just too polite to say that this shit got broken." So he came back like a couple weeks later with a new package, and he just drove it in <laughs> for that for that family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Mm-hmm. So Edward Snow, like this, came as like whole sort of thing. So um. He bore all the expenses of his Santa runs, and his family lived frugally to avoid, to, uh, not avoid, avoid, to afford the expenses. His daughter, Dolly Snow, said that they always had stuff around, piles of stuff around the house waiting to be bundled, and as an only child, she would go with her parents on the flights, which she described as bumpy, rough, and scary, <laughs> because the planes flew low and slow to ensure an accurate delivery. But by the 1970s, Snow's efforts were being curtailed by the new Federal Aviation Administration regulations that prohibited low-altitude flights. Mm. To get around it, 
He started hiring helicopters and landing at each house and dispensing presents personally. He brought a special chair to sit on as Santa to give out the presents uh, when the kids would come out of the house to get them. This is so adorable. So, Snow died in 1982, and he had been making those Santa runs since 1936. So that's almost 50 years of flying Santa. That's crazy. So, after that... Another man, Fred Tate, got uh, involved in 1991 when his lighthouse photography caught the attention of the Flying Santa Program's primary sponsor, the Hull Life-Saving Museum in Hull, Massachusetts. He says, I thought it would be a one-time thing, but it wasn't. Every year, he arranges a squad of helicopter pilots and Santas to take 300-mile treks along the (laughs) East Coast and around New England. While modern lighthouses are mainly automated, the Coast Guard employs hundreds of families and outposts for boat stations, maintenance, search and rescue, and other endeavors. So, they reach about 950 children in isolated locations every year with their stops. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Gifts these days are, are now bought with money from fundraisers arranged under the Friends of Flying Santa, which is a Hull offshoot program, and are wrapped and labeled with a child's name that's collected in advance before the helicopter lands. Packages now contain stuffed animals, commemorative Santa flight souvenirs, potato chips, gift cards, and gum. And each helicopter has has its own Santa, who meets with a kid on their little island, poses for a picture, and then climbs back on board. Oh my god. I'm just imagining Santa having to, like, jump and grab onto the the feet of a helicopter, like a... Hero <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go! The children need presents. <laughs> it's like a one-arm pull-up to get back into the helicopter. <laughs> just does a backflip onto it. Foop. He's got a machine gun. <laughs> What's that for? <laughs> the bad kids. <laughs> to this day, flying Santas continue to um, bring gifts to children. And in 2003, uh, Tag was even able to t- track down a woman with the fucking coolest na- name, <laughs> Seamond Ponsart, <laughs> who had seen Santa land on the island with a doll for her in 1946 in New Orleans. He invited her to come with him on his helicopter for a round of gift drop-offs. Um, That's so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So she went around and just brought, brought uh, gifts to kids as, as Santa's helper. Got her own hat and everything. So that is the story of the Lighthouse Santas. I'm so happy that it was a happy one. Yeah. yeah. We've been having some, having some pretty dark ones lately. Yeah. 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 Fucking love just the... <laughs> Santa's here comes out of his lap before he has to get back in his helicopter, driven by elves and pulled by spinning reindeer. <laughs> don't pet them. Don't, don't pet the reindeer. <laughs> They'll take your hands if you try to pet them. So Rudolph's pretty ornery. Oh, Where are the reindeers? They're off saving drowning sailors. <laughs> yes. Yes, that works. <laughs> that was just so nice. Yeah, no, it makes me really happy. I found that the story. continued else. as well. What? Like it, that it just continued yeah. through, yeah. like, now three, four yeah. generations. It's, of... it's still going. If any of our listeners want to donate to this, you totally can. Uh, yeah, but we don't ask you to, because that's not our deal. <laughs> Save your money to give to us one day. Or, or yourselves. Go on a trip to watch 27 men hurt another 27 Seven men. men. To watch 54 men destroy one another. Do you want to do the jingle? You love doing the jingle. Uh, sure. take that away from you. Mm. What if they had met? They never really met. 
These two people from history, what if they two had met? Well, this might have happened and we could see it now. If, if, if they met, they would have had a great big row. Or maybe they would have been all the best friends. When we have what if they met the fun, it never ends. So I was imagining in a what if they met situation. Mm-hmm. Or sort of a crossing of themes. What two, if? Two lighthouses. Okay. Two families. Okay. Both need... A wrapped up ball like gift. Fifty four Santas <laughs> enter the arena to try to deliver this gift to their lighthouse. <laughs> Anything from punches to kicks to Christmas magic are game. To helicopters smashing into other Santas. <laughs> oh no, you're ripping Santa's arms off. <laughs> Santa's great big bowl full of jelly belly is spraying hot fat everywhere. <laughs> Just let Santa die face down in the sand. Tell Mrs. Claus I love her. <laughs> Hold on. Why not eat this reindeer sausage? One of them's poison. <laughs> oh, if we win, we get a Freshly slain reindeer crafting. Oh, <laughs> oh mm, that's good, Blitz. <laughs> Looks like this baby reindeer will be guiding my taste buds to flavor. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? One of us is just Guy Fieri in a beard. <laughs> but which one? Which one is taking us to Flavor Town? I heard that Santa Claus has been convicted of murder. <laughs> This Santa Claus box is in the off-season. Boxes, presents, that is. And other men. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for us this week. (laughs) We're not topping Santa blood sports. Um, So thank you so much for listening. Um, You can contact us on Twitter at at AnacPodcast. That's A-N-A-C Podcast. Email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you like, uh, even just even just rating us five stars really helps us uh, find new listeners and it makes our day brighter every day, just like Santa would. Huh? Huh? Santa? Santa would leave us a review. Don't you want to be cool like Santa? <laughs> what, are you fighting off 27 other Santa? <laughs> He's too busy. Busiest uh, fingers are all broken. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Jackie! No. Um, <laughs> just imagine him on the keyboard and just going straight back. Oh, just oh, he's trying to type a bunch of stuff, but it just keeps saying ho 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 ho. He's just got twenty-seven other Santas listed on his naughty list. <laughs> the Santa who broke my two pointer fingers. That's what the machine gun's for. Santa's getting revenge. <laughs> so uh I'm Max. Santa Claus. That's just a candy cane slipped in between your fourth and fifth ribcages. <laughs> this Santa's covered in skeletons to help him protect himself. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm Jackie. I'm Max. <laughs> I'm all. This has been Anachronismo.
saw Mommy kissing Santa underneath the mistletoe, she was kissing him goodbye, because tomorrow he's going to the Santa Kid Death Game. 